everyone, and welcome to the Lift As We Climb podcast with me, Kaylin Grace Apple, and our new semi-permanent guest host, Chloe Landis. Hello, everyone. The Lift As We Climb podcast is all about breaking barriers, discovering how to strive for and redefine success, as well as how we can support others in their journey as well. Here, we always remind our listeners to lift as we climb. Now that Chloe will be joining us in a more permanent way, we wanted to start off with an episode which covers the theme of redefining productivity and the impacts of, quote, hustle culture. We are recording in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, which has forced us all to reevaluate our goals and expectations. Today, we will discuss a wide range of topics, including how Kaylin and I have personally handled and reshaped our idea of productivity in this unprecedented time. We're going to get into the body of the episode now and episodes where Chloe and I are recording just the two of us. We're going to maintain more of a conversational style. We're going to have episodes that are based on a particular theme. And while we have a couple questions written down and a couple themes we want to address, it's going to be a little bit more free form. So I hope you guys enjoy this particular style and please let us know in the reviews and by sending us a DM on Instagram, whether you guys like this style or if there's any particular topics you would like to hear us discuss, as well as people you would like for us to interview. So let's go ahead and get into the episode. And now for a quick message about today's sponsor. Anchor is a free podcast distribution platform, which takes the guesswork out of recording, editing, and distributing your podcast. If you're considering starting your own podcast, Anchor is the best, most straightforward platform for you. You can record directly from your phone or computer, add the clips in the Anchor app, upload, and have your podcast distributed to platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other listening platforms for free. If you're interested, go ahead and check out Anchor on your smartphone or laptop. Now let's get back to the episode. All right, so to begin the episode, we're actually going to begin with a new segment, which we're going to be calling this week's check-in. And we're going to start off with Chloe. She's going to tell us a little bit where she is and how her week is going and start us off. Uh, How is this week going? Um, I'll be honest, not great. Um, Kayla and I have had a lot of discussions about this, um, but I'm in quarantine with my grandparents. My grandpa has late stage Alzheimer's. So we're on like extreme lockdown over here. No one's going anywhere. And here in California, it is miserably hot. It hit 113 degrees the other day. So I can't really go out and walk. Um, And it's really taking a toll on my mental health. Um, And this is such a good theme for this week because I've been feeling like I haven't been doing anything. And um, I think it's a really great time to reevaluate what is work um, because I'm feeling like I haven't done anything, though that's not the case. Um, So, Kaylin, how are you doing? I am actually doing pretty well. If you guys follow me on YouTube or Instagram, then you will probably have seen that I just moved to New Haven to begin my PhD at Yale. I am currently working on decorating and furnishing my apartment and getting settled in. I have been trying to figure out ways to get some work done and create content for my YouTube channel and for other social media channels. But 
I don't really have the workspace right now because my desk hasn't arrived. So I've been trying to also let myself have a little bit of time and a little bit of grace to actually settle into my space and enjoy this downtime because I just finished my master's at Oxford and Chloe and I were studying together late nights. She was my emotional support person and I submitted my dissertation and we're going to talk a little bit more about this during the episode, but I am just so go, go, go that taking the time now to really one, let things sink in and let the gravity of what this change means for my career and for my personal life kind of sink in and not feel the need to just immediately jump right back into work. And so I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm figuring it out. I am settling in. I am now on the East Coast, which is a little weird to say, but I, I'm enjoying it so far. I've got my dog here with me and so figuring it out one day at a time. Dogs always help. Absolutely. A cuddle session with a dog always helps. Honestly, I don't Definitely. know if I could do it without my dog here. She's she's my other emotional support. So we're going to keep the past, present, and purpose section of the podcast, which I normally would have in the interviews. But we're going to kind of redefine it when Chloe and I have our episodes. So the first question, I'll go ahead and pose it, is who do you think of when you when discussing productivity and quote hustle culture and this person can be from the past or the present so in typical me fashion i immediately thought of an artist and my my artist that immediately came to mind was van gogh vincent van gogh though i feel like it's a little bit of a cliche to pick him but he was so prolific in the 10 years that he was an active artist before his death at the age of 37, he created something like 900 paintings. And that's just paintings. He created, like, if you count drawings and other forms of um, art, he created something like 2,000 works of art. And when you think of his story, um, Many discuss his um, mental illness, but he just had this incessant need to create and just produced and produced and produced. Um, and when I think of productivity, you think of production, but I also just think of this like mindset of, I have to do this. He writes in his letters to his brother about just not being able to stop creating and drawing his world to make sense of the world. And so, you know, when we think of productivity, we often think of just like this incessant need to do something. Um, and in the hustle culture, we think of it as a commodity of something that's linked to our capitalistic society. But I also think of like, just what are our internal drivers, um, and for Van Gogh, it wasn't just to sell, but um, he wasn't, you know, a famous artist in his time. He didn't sell a lot of paintings, but it was just this incessant need to create. 
so that's that's uh, who I think of. Who do you think of, Kaylin? So the first person that always comes to mind when I think of productivity is Thomas Jefferson, just because of how he wrote about his schedule. And you look at the just volume of writings and letters and I, I mean, archivists still haven't figured out how to catalog and digitize all of his work. Like, I don't even know if all of his work is going to be digitized by the time, like, I'm a senior scholar. And so who he's who I think of when I think of productivity as a personal driver, but also because he just felt this kind of need to create history and create the archives that we now value so much. And so I think of I think of him, I think of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I think of her her time in law school when she was covering the classes for her husband who had cancer during I believe it was his third year and during her second year. And I'm not entirely sure if that's exactly correct, but that she had a responsibility not only to her own work and her own intellectual development, but also to her family. And so I think that the force for productivity can come from a variety of places. It can come from self. It can come from a responsibility to family. It can come from a responsibility to a job or a company or whatever it may be. And so when I think of productivity, I don't just think of the mass production of like written work, which is obviously what kind of comes up when you think of Thomas Jefferson, but also where does that, where is that driving force coming from and where does the responsibility lie? Is that responsibility to self? Is that responsibility to others? Is that responsibility to your constituents? Is that a responsibility to your co-workers or to the world and the other like other people that are in the world or in your state or in your country and so I think about like early notions of responsibility and so that's a long tangent but that's what these episodes are for (laughs) so how do you define productivity and its purpose in your own life and work So this is something I've talked a bit about on my YouTube channel and on Instagram and and whatnot. But I think the initial connotation with productivity, as you stated, brings up this idea of capital and the production of a commodity, like a sellable commodity. And this is something I want to discuss definitely more in depth later in the episode. But we now live in a culture and a time when a lot of our hobbies and a lot of the things that we are passionate about can be commodified and can be monetized, especially in social media and deciding what it is that is productive for yourself and not just for yourself in terms of your wealth and your financial well-being. And while I think it is I I think it is a privilege in order to actually use your habits and your talents to produce a financial gain. There is also a risk of not giving yourself the room and the grace to have habits and to have hobbies outside of what is quote work. And we'll, we'll go into that more in the episode. So for me, for productivity, it is, 
what allows me to do my work my best? How is, I, how is it that my mission can be accomplished? And that's not just by working. It's not just by staying up late nights and by going to a million meetings and by staying on the computer all the time. Because for me, I need to be able to rest. I need to have fun with my friends. I need to do the things that are actually fulfilling for my heart and that are fulfilling for my soul. So while I, I love my work and anybody that knows me knows how much of a busybody I am, I like constantly working. I also want to be able to work at my personal relationships and my mental health and my physical wellness and all of those things. So productivity to me is anything that helps me accomplish my mission to the best of my ability. And for example, one thing that is the most important to me is making academia and research accessible. And that's why I have YouTube and that's why I have my Instagram. And I do these master classes where I talk about the admissions process or I talk about how to get into these schools, how to succeed in the top universities, all of those things. But over the last couple months, I've been working three part-time jobs, writing my dissertation and also producing bi-weekly videos for YouTube. And every time I did these master classes, I felt so drained. I didn't feel like I was on the top of my game. I didn't feel like I was super sharp when I was giving my presentations. And this week I had another one after moving into my apartment and it was the best presentation I've given. I felt so sharp. I felt so keen and I felt like I made no mistakes in terms of my speech and I felt so on top of it. And so to me, that is just kind of an anecdotal example of that in order for me to give my best and in order for me to do these master classes and to produce this content for other people to accomplish my mission, I have to rest and I have to be mm -hmm. kind to myself and I have to know when it's time to say no. And so that's kind of how the long-winded way of how I would define productivity for myself and how I purpose, how that provides purpose for me and my work. What about you? So I think very similar. I am now redefining productivity as the like to-do list. Like I've always thought of productivity as what do I have to get done today to complete this research project and for work and for, you know, my social life and all these things and what, what do I have to do? And right now I'm in this transition period where I finished my master's in June. Um, I, all of my previous employment was linked to being a student um, employed at the university. So now I'm in this transition period where I'm applying to jobs and I have this idea in my head that I am not working, that I'm not doing enough because I'm not in the traditional um, academic sphere anymore and I'm not in a full-time job. So I feel like I'm wasting a lot of my days, but now I'm redefining that definition of, but I'm caring for myself. I'm caring for my now I'm helping care for my grandpa 
and I've been doing a lot of, I hate using the word self-care because I think of it more as like soul care, um, but I've been in therapy and I've been doing so much internal work to make sure that I can do the external work. And I think redefining, this has been a long redefinition for me, um, but really in the past few months, um, especially because of COVID, being stuck inside, not having that, okay, I have to be here and here and here and here in one day and running from place to place. You know, I'm still busy behind the scenes, but you know, just physically being in one place has forced me to slow down and really reconsider how I can do those things if I'm not taking care of myself. Um, Also, I've dealt with now chronic migraine for the past year or so. Um, It's something that I was diagnosed with and they've gotten worse. So physically, I've literally had to stop and reevaluate that sleep is productive. Um, Going on a walk is productive and not in the sense of, oh, I have to go to the gym because I have to fit this standard, but I'm caring for myself. I'm taking care of my body, you know, spending an hour with you and Liam and Zach on a Zoom happy hour. That is productive because it is filling my soul you know reading and journaling that is feeding my soul and that is productive um and it's so strange when the world changes how in like literally a span of two weeks your definition can drastically change absolutely and I think that that's a good segue into kind of the body of the of the podcast where we have some questions kind of laid out, but we'll take some tangents. We'll, we'll kind of roll with it. So one thing I wanted to address was how we define productivity and how that's developed over time, if at all. And I think that especially given this current moment with COVID and I know that for me, when the BLM protests started taking place, I really had to reevaluate my the value I put into my work. And I remember I had a call with you where mm-hmm. I said, I just, I, I'm, I'm having a really hard time doing my work because it's just, it breaks my heart. And I feel like I should be out there. I should be protesting. And... To me, it felt unproductive and it felt kind of counter to the, to the movement to not do anything. But I needed to take a day and read the news, read what was being said, and not just try to throw myself back into work and distract myself. And so I just kind of want to talk about how we've defined productivity over time due to COVID and due to kind of current events, but also how have you changed your definition in the long term? Yeah. Well, first, I think that idea of 
you know, you, you said, I want to be in the streets. And I remember when we had that conversation, I said, okay, sure. You know, that is so great if you can do that, but you were not in a um, position because you were living with your grandparents at the time to do that. And I said, but you are being, you are helping. You're having conversations with people. You know, I know that you were sharing resources and I think it also fits into our general like broad public understanding of productivity that there is one way of doing things there is one way of helping there is one way of getting things done um I know we're both type a people and we live together and we both had that mindset of like this is the right way to do it why aren't you doing it this way right and I think our society has this idea and we get that in our heads of I can only help in this one way and when we can't do that we have to reevaluate um how being helpful is not does not look one way um and that's something like with work for example I'm not working in the traditional sense but I'm spending so much time a day. I mean, applying to jobs is a job, I have learned, but also caring for another person is a job. And, but it's not considered such in our society. So taking the time to not only think of how am I serving myself, but also like critically looking at why do I think I'm not doing anything or doing it the right way, quote unquote, and what has society taught me? What is the message? Why do it? Why am I thinking this? Like reevaluating these messages that we have been taught since we were younger. And I think considering how we both have changed our definition of work has definitely, I mean, we both came from the professional athletic field, you know, you as a professional writer, and then I was a competitive figure skater, and then I taught there's this one narrow definition and being in a competitive atmosphere you have this hustle culture of if you're not training like an olympian like it doesn't matter if you're an olympian or not you train like an olympian and you gotta put 110 percent into it and you sacrifice everything else even if it means sacrificing your relationships and your mental health especially your mental health but being on the ice, being on a horse, being at the barn. If you're not doing that five hours a day, you're not being productive. Even though taking a nap, taking a nap and resetting has done more for me in my like academic career, work career, whatever, than if I had pushed through and worked. Yeah. Um, and I know we talk so much about how athletics have shaped mindset and there's a lot of rewiring that goes into absolutely that I mean for for me I was riding horses since I was five and then I turned professional at 18 and I didn't have the financial means I, I wasn't getting paid for the first year that I was I was working after high school and so I was braiding horses manes at the horse shows and so just to put it in context for you all I would stay up all night. I would, starting Tuesday, I would get there at the horse show at about 
8 or 9 a.m. We'd prep the horses all day. I'd have some dinner. I'd go back to the show. I'd be braiding horses' manes and preparing them to compete the next day from the hours of 7 p.m. to 5 a.m. And then I would be on a horse at 5.30. And I would do that all the way to Sunday. And Sunday night was when I was allowed to, quote, crash. And not only was that, like, so, so physically damaging to my body and made me so ill, I... I mean, it made me ill to the point where my body didn't know when it was hungry. It didn't know how to regulate its own temperature. I was really not well. But to everybody else, especially in an athletics environment, they would just say, like, you're sacrificing so much and, like, you're doing so well and no one's able to work as hard as you are. And so it was people were glorifying it but i was killing myself Mm -hmm. like i was so sick and we do that in many i mean we do that in academia we do that in sports sports i think the one challenge that adds an additional facet past kind of professional career work corporate work or academic work is that there's such a physical element to it. And that physical sacrifice is seen as positive. If you can manage to compete on a broken bone, you're a hero. And if you can manage to push through just absolute excruciating pain, you're a hero. And so we think of productivity, we think of being our quote best, as not listening to our body and not listening to when we are putting physical stress on the body to the point of extreme damage. And so I think coming from that space where in order to make it, everybody said you have to work twice as hard to get half as much as all these other people. Mm -hmm. Because in in the industry that I was coming from, if you had the money... You didn't have to, you still had to put in the work. You still had to, to train really hard, but you didn't have to groom. You didn't have to braid. You didn't have to run from ring to ring in extreme temperatures. And so my idea of productivity and my feeling of worth within that industry was very much tied into how much can I put my body at risk to the benefit of the sport. How much can I sacrifice for the sport? And then when I came into academia, academia has a different culture to it, but I would say the people that are revered are the people that you see publishing all the time and who are working and going to conferences Mm -hmm. and doing all of these things and to the students that stay up all night. And... I, I over time started figuring out that I had to rethink the way that I viewed self-sacrifice for the quote mission or for the goal. And because originally I had wired my brain in such a way as, a, as an athlete 
that you give up everything. You give up your personal life. You give up, you give up your body. You give up your mental health. Everything that you do is suck it up. And then when I got into academia, I realized that actually, because it's mental, it is my mental energy. If I actually put myself at the point of collapse, my, my brain can't function. I could, I could force my body to function as a professional athlete, but that's very different than the brain. And so when I got into academia, I realized I, I actually can run on very little sleep. As you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm okay on less sleep, but I have to do other things that energize me. So I have to do things that are not just taxing because your mental capacities, your physical capacities are like a bank account. If you just keep withdrawing, mm -hmm. you're going to not only hit on empty, but you're going to overdraw the account. Yeah, I think a great analogy I've um, heard is if you're a cup and your stressors and your workload is filling your cup. If you're filling it up too high, you're going to just start splashing it around. And what's going to come out of that when you do produce work isn't going to be your best. And I know I learned this the hard way during my first term, um, both my first quarter and really my first year at UCLA, I was getting four hours of sleep a night. I had a part-time job. I then was involved in multiple volunteer activities and it was taking a toll on my physical health. I remember coming home because there was the skirball fire and asking my dad for excedrin like five times because I had a migraine that had me on the f bathroom floor for hours and I just thought no I gotta suck it up I have to write this final paper I don't even remember what I wrote in that final paper because I was in so much pain and I was so sick and I thought that was normal and I ended up getting I mean they were fine grades but they were not what I knew I could produce because I was in so much pain. And that just continued a cycle um, where it, I just was constantly triggering these migraines due to extreme stress. And I was extremely overwhelmed, not to mention there was personal family things that were adding stress. And I remember you sitting me down, there was a volunteer opportunity that I was really excited about. And you sitting me down in the lounge, like literally grabbing me by the shoulders and saying, you can't do all of this. But I thought, you know, this is what you have to do. If I want to make it in this career field or whatever to be successful, I need all of these things on my resume. But it took someone literally shaking me and saying, you're killing yourself. And guess what? You're doing kind of bad work to realize, yeah, it's not worth it. I can't, I don't have the mental capacity to do this. My body is literally telling me, no, I'm done. I reject everything you're trying to do. And it took kind of that physical wake up call to realize I can't do it all. I'm doing it poorly. I'm not going to make good connections with people. Um, 
because if all your it because pr- productivity and you know this hustle culture it's all about I feel quantity rather than quality and it's sacrifice your body do more do more do more instead of hey if you're gonna do one research project and not work or whatever you that is going to be if you put everything in that it is going to be so much better than doing four things not even with half half of your effort because you just physically can't mentally can't handle that well one thing that I remember from undergrad in particular was that I remember looking around and seeing people on the debate team or that were running for student council and thinking I'm not doing enough because I was writing a thesis I was writing this this honors thesis that was really important to me and I came into UCLA with a goal my goal was that I wanted to do research and I remember having this kind of mental check-in with myself and I remember several conversations that you and I had had where I had to remind myself I came here for this goal and so I need to throw myself into that and what there's a quote that I heard recently which I think just resonates perfectly which is you can do anything but you cannot do everything it's funny you mentioned that Kaylin because I'm pointing to basically that exact same quote that I have on my bulletin board. Oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that was there. I heard it in a podcast a couple weeks ago, but I, I even think about that now. So while in school, I was focused on research and wanting to go to graduate school I am so glad that I did that because if I had not really focused on my thesis and I mean, Chloe was there with me. I stayed up all night. There were many late nights. Many, many late nights on that thesis, but I poured my absolute heart into it. And thank heavens I did because my writing sample is what got me to Oxford. My writing sample is what got me to Yale. And I am so proud of that thesis. I still read it today and think, wow, I can't believe I did that as an undergrad with no research experience. And so I learned in that moment that I had to choose something. And now with YouTube and my graduate school work and all of this stuff, there's a lot of options. Like there's many things, many avenues I could go down. I could create a Patreon page. I could do TikTok. I could do all of these things. But I have to remember what my priority is. And my priority is always going to be my research. And it's always going to be providing access to other people to academia. And the way that I can do that is not necessarily by doing everything, but by being really good and really diligent at doing well in my schoolwork as a as a TA in a couple of years and as a content creator on YouTube and as a consultant. A great analogy that I just thought of um, that I heard from someone, I can't remember who, but talking about like work-life balance is if you're juggling 
you can only juggle so much without letting a ball drop. And when deciding what you take on, there there's always a certain ball in one hand. And what are those balls that you will never let drop? Like family, health, the, the quintessential things. And you can have a lot of balls in the air, but you cannot have every ball. It's not possible to juggle them all without many falling. And I think that's exactly how you said you, your ball that you would not let drop was your thesis. And, you know, I, I always think of like the big three, because if I think of juggling, like basic juggling, you can do three things. And I mean, mine was the same way. Mine was my research um, towards the end of my academic career, but it was also my work relationships. I, because I wanted to go into the museum field, you can't really get practical experience with that in the classroom. And so I knew I had to go in and I had to make those relationships. And I could not be my best if I was tired and in pain. So I knew to make that experience worth it, I had to prioritize sleep and nutrition to care for my body. And I think, well, this can kind of lead it, we can kind of switch um, directions with this, but in terms of like social media and the way productivity is, presented in social media and how the idea of what is self-discipline and um, self-worth depicted in social media. Like I always saw it as I need to be going to the gym and getting all this work done and showing everybody my to-dos and um, I remember sharing how little I slept in um, the dorms and people saying, wow, like, I, I can't believe you do that. And I, I come back and think, yeah, I'm doing this. Um, I'm kind of miserable, but I'm doing this. And this perception online of the, what a hustle culture is, I really had to step back and say, no, taking the time to meal prep, not because that's um, the productive thing to do and the disciplined thing to do, but because I need good food to heal my body um I need to sleep because it's to heal my body not what is social media telling me to do um I think that's a big discussion that we have all the time is how do like study tubers and um these people especially in the like study gram and study tube fields you know those videos of study with me where I write two papers in a day it's okay they may do that but can I do that and do good work um really it's really self-reflection on your personal values and what you can accomplish um I think comparison like definitely comes into this conversation as well So to go on the tangent of social media and how productivity is depicted. I started watching YouTube in order to get like tactical 
tips on how to study and what certain schools looked like and what people's lives looked like. And one thing that I do appreciate about YouTube is that some people, what, I, what I've seen is that there is a trend towards showing the pieces that are difficult. And that's one thing I've tried to be very diligent about with my own social media and especially with YouTube is I don't want anyone to ever see my videos and think, wow, she's doing all of this work. I could never do that. Or that's what I have to do in order to get into these schools. Or that's what I have to do in order to feel worthy. I don't want anyone to ever see my content and think that. I want them to see the points when I let myself have a break, that I enjoy cooking, I enjoy caring for my body, I enjoy spending time with my friends. I think that there is a way to combine family and friendship with your work. And that's why I show the moments when I'm breaking down and when I'm crying and when I'm upset. But I also show the moments when I'm really happy. And I also show the moments (laughs) when I feel really motivated or when I feel unmotivated. And I think that especially when you're providing study tips and you're providing information about how to be productive, I think that on one hand, you're giving information that is helpful to some people and maybe motivational. And I definitely find people's content. I definitely find certain content very motivational. I think it's also important to show the variable aspects of what is quote productivity. And I talk about this on my channel. And so with social media, I think it's important if you are somebody that has a following, that if you are somebody who is trying to go the quote influencer route, that you need to show the whole picture because images of productivity can sometimes be be toxic there is there is such a thing as toxic productivity and as someone with a following as somebody who has influence you have a responsibility to be careful what with that influence and not only for your audience, but for yourself, because there is also this push to want to create content that's all about productivity because that's what sells, that's what's monetized on YouTube. But you also need to be true to yourself. You need to be true to your body and to your health. And so I think that on the two sides of the coin, you have that this, there's this public persona of you or there's this public image that you are putting out and you have a responsibility to be honest. But in addition to that, if you lack honesty, if you're not being true to yourself, then it's actually damaging to you as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, just from personal experience, I mean, I talked about during the dorms, uh, how I was constantly posting my 2 a.m. study sessions because people would then, and this sounds so shallow, but I mean, please point me to a person who hasn't done something like this. Um, but I remember people, you know, saying, 
wow, like it's so inspiring that you're so motivated or whatever, whatever they said. And so it drove that behavior and I would keep pushing that behavior and was denying my health, but also who I was. I am not like, I think where we, um, I mean, we're very similar. We're both overachievers, high achievers, um, both into productivity and stuff. But I'm also all about what is the easiest way to do this? What is the most simple way? I'm constantly thinking there has to be another way. We got to streamline this. I, I'm, I'm not about fuss. I'm, I'm all about simplicity. And yet I wasn't really following that. Um, because I was getting like that little like adrenaline, you know, endorphin, whatever that we get on social media or when somebody mentions that. So I wasn't being me. And when I was me, I, my friendships were better. Um, I created better friendships because I wasn't this fake person who was, yes, I, I study 15 hours a day and only sleep for four hours or whatever, you know, it is. But I was really my true self who I was famous in the dorms for like taking really long naps and sleeping through things. And Kaylin used to have to knock on my door and like wake me up to go get dinner and things like this. And that's me, you know, I'm, I can, it's a talent. I, I can sleep. I, I can sleep. And that's me. And I'm proud of how much I can nap. I, I'm like two speeds. I am on 100% or like zero. And that, that is the true me, not this like hustle culture person. Though, yes, I, without like a project or something like that, I definitely feel a little lost in the wind. Um, but now I can recognize that that's for me and not because I feel the societal pressure to do that. Um, that I can have a project, like I can do this podcast with you and feel like I am doing something productive in my own mind, even though it's not a full-time job. I think another thing that I try to mention on my YouTube, and I think this ties into both of our experience in the dorms, is that your study habits, your productivity is going to be so dependent on you and who you are. For example, I actually function better on slightly less sleep. If I feel like I am really enjoying what I'm doing, I really don't need very much sleep. But for you, for your body, for your your head, for your migraines, you need more sleep. And you need to be able to listen to your body in that way. And I'm somebody, I'm not a long sleeper. I like napping, but I, I'm a power napper. And so I figured out that studying late at night was the most productive time for me. And I had to question, okay, am I staying up late because that's what I think I am supposed to do? Or is it because that's when I work best? And I ultimately figured out that for me, I could study early in the morning. I'm a morning person. 
but I am completely, completely useless in the afternoon. And so I figured out that I had to have my sleeping time be from about 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. when we would go get dinner and then I'd stay up until four. But I wasn't staying up till four because I felt like I had to. I was staying up till four because that's just when my body worked the best. And that's what I needed to do in order to care for myself. The one thing I want to break down overall is the perception of like sleep and napping as a negative or lazy thing. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Because all of us have different sleeping patterns. We all have different ways that we need to recharge our bodies. And so my sleeping patterns are going to be different from Chloe's and that's going to be different from the next person. (laughs) And that figuring out what your sleeping patterns are, listening to your body, how to fuel your body with rest and with food and with other like energizing activities that is productive. And that allows you to hustle because if you don't listen to your body and you're not doing right by your body, then you can never produce the work that you are capable of. So a great like example of this was when we lived in the apartment together. Um, Kaylin naturally will wake up at 6 a.m. like bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, ready to greet the day. And we lived in a studio apartment for context. And Kaylin would make breakfast and my bed was right across from the kitchen and she'd be like it's such a beautiful morning and I would look at her I would like shoot out of bed like I terrified to greet the morning and just look Kaylin it it took her like a couple days to figure out that I just hated the morning I wasn't mad at her um anybody who's like shared a room with me at summer camp or dorms or whatever will know I'm not a morning person I I just I don't, I'm a zombie. And I would try to wake up earlier because Kaylin was up and I would feel lazy for sleeping in a little bit longer till like 8 a.m. on a Sunday, you know, not anything crazy. But I got over that real quickly because I do not function. I hate the mornings and we're kind of taught in this western society that like the early bird gets the worm or whatever and I thought oh I'm so lazy for sleeping but then I was always up later than Caitlin and I just function better I'm just more alert and it's just a great example of there isn't value you know one isn't there's no moral value to either side so I think so much of this conversation is just learning how to be true to yourself and it takes so much inner reflection to figure out what works for you and not letting others dictate that now tips and tactical steps like I am all for that please everyone share them because I love learning those but just because something works for someone else does not mean that they are morally better than you because they do absolutely it's what works for them. I think that's an excellent segue into our wrap-up <laughs> question of the day, which are 
sorry, which is what are some actionable steps that you have implemented in your life to help keep you sane and productive? So I love a good to-do list. Um, I do a brain dump every day. I think mess is better on paper or a tablet or whatever you use than in your head. But I tend to get caught up in, oh my gosh, I have so much to do. I haven't done anything. And this is actually um, something that a therapist told me to do on days where I just felt like I couldn't do anything when my anxiety was really bad. And I call it the to done list. And I will write out every single thing I had completed that day. Like I got out of bed. I brushed my teeth. I put on clean clothes. Sometimes like that enough, depending on your mental state, is a huge accomplishment. And half the time when you do the to-done list, you realize how much you've actually gotten done in a day. And it's a great way to put into perspective um, expectations and a way to be kinder to yourself um, if you are the type of person who gets caught up in the I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. I haven't done enough. Sending like a single email can be really hard. (laughs) Like just doing that, um, putting that down. Uh, It has been really key to keep me sane. And especially in COVID when I can't go out and I can't do like my my typical routine is gone. Um, Really breaking things down into like the simplest things. and seeing, hey, those are actually really big steps um, when maybe you're not feeling your best. What is yours, Kaylin? So for me, I have my to-do list, I have my plan, I have all of that. But on top of that, it's allowing myself to develop my relationships and focus on that, for one, because that's something that makes me feel energetic and makes me feel fulfilled. But in addition to that, I have learned to let myself feel the emotions that I'm feeling. I think that societally we are taught to repress a lot, whether that's happiness or sadness or anger or whatever it is. And so for me, I have this thing where I say I'm allowed to have a day. So if I am really stuck, I will not... And sometimes there are times when you have to push through. But I say to myself, if I can, I need to let myself have a day. And I'm allowed to have one day where I am absolutely not, quote, productive, where I'm not working, where I can let myself kind of, either it's wallowing in sadness or I can let myself digest information and but I'm only allowed that 24 hours and then I have to figure out a way to recharge and so that day that 24 hours is my time to figure out a way through so that way when I wake up the next morning it's it's time to put it in the past and then the last thing that I'll mention is that I have a general structure to how I want to work out my week So I have my plan. I have my idea of which classes I have each day. I know what assignments I have to get done. I know when my videos need to go out. 
but I allow myself one day per week that is allowed to be kind of a nothing day. If I get things done, great. If I edit a video, awesome. If I want to do client work, I can. But it is also a day where I get to spend time with Liam. It's time when I get to catch up with my friends. And it is time when I'm allowed to rest, watch TV, whatever it is I need to do to recharge. And then I am, I'm able to view that day as it's not a wash. It's a way for me to recharge. And if I do anything that is deemed, quote, work, it is just in addition to. And I'm doing it because it just brings me happiness. Like, I really love editing videos. Like, I really love editing YouTube you videos. You really do. I think it's really fun. And so while I do need to get my videos up on Tuesday and Friday, because that's my schedule, if it's a Saturday when I typically would have the day off and I just feel like editing just because it's creative and it's fun, heck, I'm allowed to edit my video. I'm not, I'm not barring myself from working, but I'm not working for the sake of working. I'm working because it brings me joy and I find it to be fun. That allows me to view productivity in such a way that I'm doing it out of enjoyment, not just because it is something that I have signed up for if you're responsible to. Okay, I have one more to add, and you may, you can decide if you want to yeah. add this in into mine. But for anyone who is the planner type, like me, um, I will physically write in my planner um, whether it's a day or a block of time, I will write in that time, me time. So I physically cannot schedule anything within that time. Now, of course, if it's, an, if it's something really, really urgent, um, that's flexible. But I have found if I have this space in my planner and um, someone asks me to do something that, you know, could be done a different day, um, or isn't urgent and I haven't taken care of myself, I will fill it in. I will not take the time and think, hey, no, you really need to use this space to care for yourself because you've been running 24-7 all week. So I will physically write it in, um, whether it's two hours, you know, here and there or a full day, um, I will make it so that time is for me. And by putting that boundary, like a written visual, I mean, obvious, I mean, surprise, surprise, I'm a visual learning learner, hello, art history major, seeing it visually um, really is helpful to not over schedule myself and over work myself. I remember you telling me about that tactic and that's something I've actually implemented in my own planner. So you can definitely say that for me, it has been helpful. So we've now come to the end of the podcast. I hope you guys all enjoyed this episode. Please go ahead and leave us a five-star review and Apple podcast. Let us know what you think of these duo episodes. I hope that you guys enjoyed and that you enjoyed having Chloe with us. And I'm really excited to have you on the team and just to create these episodes because these conversations are just so much more fun than doing it solo. <laughs> I mean, I have to talk with you more. I mean, you don't have to twist my leg. <laughs> All right, guys. We will catch you next week. I hope you guys enjoyed and see you next time.